Kids Classics. In Ken's Classics, this week I have my interview with the late, great, the king himself, King Larry, Larry Cohen. I remember getting up at 2am in the morning because Larry uh, wanted to talk to me in the morning in California, which which meant really early in the morning here in Australia. But uh, because it was Larry Cohen and because I might never have got to speak to him again, I did. I got up at 2am. And uh, had a wonderful chat with Larry. It wasn't the only chat I had with Larry. We shared some screenwriting secrets. Uh, some I've told a few people and some I keep to myself. But anyway, here he is. The king back across the mists of time, back from the grave. Here he is, the late great, the king, Larry Cohen. <laughs> I've been to Australia. I was to the Brisbane Film Festival some years ago. Oh, you were? Did you enjoy it? I had a wonderful time. Yeah, oh, that's great. People wonderful. And those Houston Bay bugs and those mud crabs and everything. Oh, boy, the food was fabulous. Oh, that's great. Well, stuff, I'm glad stuff you... Stuff you can't get back here. Oh, well, that's... Um, I'm glad you had a good time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've got to say, it's um, just, just as a fan first, um, forget you know all the film writing and the interviewing and stuff, but uh, it's a real uh, honour to talk to you this morning. Well, I'm here for you. Whatever you want to know, I'll try to help you. Awesome. <laughs> it's good to be the king, right? Yes. Totally. Anyway, Larry, I've, I've been looking at all the other interviews you've done because I hate to, to have a, a guest on and, and just rehash a lot of the stuff that they've already been asked. So hopefully I'll avoid too many of the the often trodden questions. Suffice to say, I haven't seen the whole film. I've very much want to, but um, I've I've been been uh, allowed exclusive little glimpses at part of it. Now, what's it like, I guess, to look back at your your career in in Toto? And, and, you know, just for you, I mean, because a lot of these documentaries sometimes are done after the filmmaker has sadly passed away, but you're still with us. So what's it like to, to, to take a trip down memory lane and, and watch it all unfold? Well, you know, I, I don't really think much about the past. Right. I'm always thinking about the future. I'm still writing stuff and trying to put pictures together yeah, in sure. television series. So I don't dwell on the past that much. I enjoy uh, I saw the picture only once up in Montreal, right. where it won, won the Best Documentary Film uh, Award. So, uh, and I'm headed off to Austin, Texas uh, later this week uh, for a, a film festival there. I'll probably see it for a second time, but I don't remember much about it. I was so, uh, you know, uh, disoriented seeing stuff about myself juxtaposed with the editing and uh, uh, stuff that was in there and stuff that wasn't in there. So I really, I really had no opinion when it was all over, except uh, 
wow, you know, a lot of work went into it. There was no question about that. Sure. And they did, they get they got some wonderful people to participate. Martin Scorsese, J.J. Abrams, you know, yeah. uh, uh, there was a whole roster of good uh, filmmakers who were kind enough to uh, contribute something. Sure. And I was surprised at what some of them said. Yeah. Know, I, uh, one of one of the <clears throat> one that I was very surprised by because he is such a private person was uh, the appearance of Yafit Kotto. Yes, well, I've seen Yafit over the years a few times, and uh, uh, and he's always been a very, very uh, uh, complimentary. He loved working with me. He thought the performance he gave in the film Bone was the best thing he ever did on film. Right. And I tend, I tend to agree with him. And uh, so, uh, uh, as with many of the actors that I worked with, they, they came away with a very uh, pleasant experience. Uh, they could tell I liked actors and I liked them and uh, they responded. Many directors don't like the actors very much. They're wary of them and it's kind of adversarial and not with me. With me, it's a team effort. We have a good time together. I try and entertain them and relax them and make them a part of the uh, whole procedure. So they come away with, with a very warm, pleasant experience that they they carry with them. I mean, Yafin worked with me 40 years ago, so they, yeah. they carried that with them all these years. So yeah, I, was, I was I was very pleased that he participated it was, and that he's still around. It was great uh, to, to hear him uh, on there. As I was saying to Steve, um, another actor that uh, that uh, came on to comment and, and you worked with her in uh, Wicked Stepmother was Barbara Carrera. Yes, beautiful Barbara Carrera. Yeah, beautiful. She was, Beautiful inside and outside both. She's a very fine person. Yeah, she was my first screen crush. Not not from sadly not from your film, but from another film. She did a Disney film called Condor Man, where she played a Russian spy. And oh, she's uh, gorgeous. She was in James Bond. She had a terrific part in the James Bond movie with Sean yes. Connery, and, and she's just lovely. But she's nothing in real life like what she is on the screen. I, I mean, can only imagine. Just, I can only imagine. She's just uh, delightful. The yeah. first time I met her, she said, "Don't worry about me, about my wardrobe. I've got all these clothes in the closet that I've always wanted to wear, and I'll bring my own clothes, and and I don't have to have a hairdresser. I do my own hair and I do my own makeup. So it was just the opposite of what I expected from a diva." that she require all this care and uh, additional uh, personnel to take care of her. She was just such a great friend and such a wonderful com uh, companion. Yes. And one day she came with an outfit and she said, oh, I forgot the belt. And she drove all the way back to Brentwood and got the belt all by herself oh, and came yeah. back again. So, I mean, and she's just a regular person. I mean, just uh, absolutely pleasant. I just had dinner with her a few months ago. Oh, wow. And she's, she's as beautiful as ever. Yeah, that's tremendous. But uh, like you say, a lot of great people came out to um, to pay tribute. And, of course, there's all your wonderful work to look at. Some of the, I mean, I... Like I said, I haven't seen the whole piece, and I'm, I'm very much looking forward to. But, well, I'm um, hoping that I'm hoping that the movie will encourage people to rent uh, or, or uh, download some of my movies that are available on the internet. Totally. And a lot of them, a lot of them are on Netflix and yeah. other 
and you can you can have them in your own home anytime you want them. You don't have to go to a theater and wait for them to be run. It's wonderful the new systems that allow your pictures to be available for everybody to see. Sure. And I know there's a lot of my movies that haven't been seen by many people. So That's true. That's I hope true. that all these films have a new life because of the systems that have come into play, and yeah. that this documentary kind of gooses it all up. Yes, it seems to be the trend with a lot of these retrospective documentaries. There was one, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but it was um, <clears throat> about the era of uh, exploitation films back in the 70s and 80s. And uh, a, a lot of our young film-going audiences, I'm pretty sure, were not aware of a lot of the, uh, the exploitation movies that were made here down under during the Mad Max years. But um, that documentary certainly reinvigorated a... Uh, an interest and uh, a great uh, resurgence in... Um, well, in... it's wonderful because movies now are available. It used to be years ago you had to wait for a movie to come to a revival house yes. if they could find a print of it. And uh, and today uh, everything is available just like going to the public library uh, and all the books are there. These movies are right there for you. And uh, so I, I hope people will see them and uh, let me know how they like them. Awesome, yes. Um, well, uh, Steve and I, when I interviewed Steve recently, we talked about um, mutual crossover, some of the films that we, of yours that we loved equally. Of course, Q, The Winged Serpent is one of them. But the other one that uh, I didn't talk with Steve about, I was saving for you to talk to you about, was because it's uh, my, me and my wife's favourite film of yours is The Stuff. Yeah, well, many people do tell me that. We just came from a autograph show uh, yesterday here in Burbank and uh, so many people came who were fans of the stuff and uh, mm. so I was, I'm always delighted when they show up and tell me how much they like that movie particularly since it's uh, probably 30 years old now and uh, people yeah. are still loving that film I love the great the underlining sort of commentary that you you put in there about uh, am I correct in saying consumerism Yes, that's exactly what the picture was about. Yeah. And this is going on today, I mean, tremendously, I mean, in America. Uh, uh, you know, they don't allow cigarette commercials on television anymore. No. So they've all been replaced by medication ads for pills that take this for you and do that for you. But there's always these tremendous side effects. And the ad for the, for the medication is always followed by a disclaimer with all the side effects that may occur, including death. And I'm always, I think it's like a comedy routine almost. Uh, mm. for, if you want your skin cleared up by a medication, you have to risk death or a stroke. I mean, it, it, is, it is so ludicrous. And yet, that's what they're putting on the air, and that's what they're promoting, and that's what the, the companies are turning out uh, in, in, in droves. Yes. All this medicine used to be, you go to your doctor and get his opinion on something. Now it tells you on television what to ask your doctor for. Yes. Doctors are so afraid of getting a, a, a suit for malpractice that they'll just about give you anything yeah. because they're afraid to deny you anything. But people are taking stuff that's really bad for them and, uh, and it's being promoted heavily by advertising. And that's what the stuff is all about. Yeah. You can sell people anything with advertising, even if it kills you. <laughs> yeah, that's a sad fact, isn't it? But um, another... Um group of films that uh, that I really love that you have a hand in was the uh, the Maniac Cop movies, which you, uh, well, which you, you probably liked them better than I did. Yeah, but they were uh, the scripts were good. 
I thought the execution of the films was a little less uh, yeah. uh, in quality than when I was directing them myself. But people seem to like the concept of it and some of the gags. Yeah. And I, I wrote three of them. The last one was completely rewritten and ruined. The yeah. first two were okay. But oh, the last one, oh. I wouldn't advise anybody to see the last one. That's a shame. I didn't know, I didn't know that. But anyway... Sad stuff. Um, I loved. Uh, I've always loved your version that you penned of um, of the body snatchers that was directed by Abel Ferreira. Well, I, I came up with the concept of doing it on a military base, yeah. where everybody could be mistaken for a pod person. Yes. Uh, and I sold that to Warner Brothers and, and, and wrote a script. Yeah. But Abel Ferrari came on later, and uh, they made a lot of changes. Oh, so there are, there are several scenes in there that I wrote, but right. there's a lot of stuff in there that I didn't. Yeah. But it was a very good picture, actually, and uh, a, a really good version of the uh, body snatch. It's certainly better than the one that was made later on, and uh, I... Uh, and I didn't think it got the proper release. Warner Brothers lost patience with Abel Ferrara right. because of his behavior on the set, on the uh, on the set, and the fact that it went way over budget. Yeah. So uh, uh, they didn't really they really dumped the picture. And then the reviews came out, and the reviews were just absolutely glowing. Mm. And it was too late to go ahead and save the picture. Yeah, it was probably the film that I think I first saw your name attached to. As, as well, first as a writer, and it was John uh, Gilliman's El Condor, which had uh, Jim Brown and Lee Van Cleef. Lee Van Cleef, yeah, yeah sure. and um, and the man uh, known to a lot of people as the crying Indian, Iron Eyes Cody. That was, I think, that was probably the first film I remember seeing your name attached to. It's still a film that I love very much. Was El Condor? Um, well, I, I, you know, I. Uh, I had written a lot of movies before that, but the yeah. company, National General, that was making the film, they called me up and said, listen, we, we were going to make this movie over in Almeria, Spain, and we built all the sets, but we don't like the script. And I wondered, can you go over to Spain and, and write us another screenplay based on the sets that have already been built? Right. And that can save the production. The crew is over there waiting to see if you can come over and save the picture. So I went over and wrote this script based on what was already built. Right. And uh, it took me a few weeks to do it. They treated me like a king. Every minute I was feasted and taken to parties and dinners and honored. And they gave me statues. And they finally gave me a man in armor that said, The Liberator of El Condor. Oh, wow. And when I left, uh, we, my wife and I headed off to a Spanish Morocco on a boat. And we left Almeria. There was fireworks on the pier to bid us goodbye. I was never treated so well in my entire life. Right. That's when I saved the movie. <laughs> then I had to come back to the United States and Lee Van Cleef didn't want to get on the plane because he didn't like the part. He right. thought it was, he thought it was, he was told by his producer, Alberto Grimaldi, who did all his spaghetti westerns, that this part would ruin his career. So I had to meet with him and I, and he was, he said, they'll laugh at me. I said, but but Lee, it's supposed to be. It's a comedy part. It's mm. supposed to be funny. He said, it is? No. I didn't know that. Nobody told me that. I said, well, I'm telling you, this is kind of like, you know, uh, uh, you're going to play a part like Bogart played in the Trader of Sierra Madre, only it's a funny part. Right. And, and he said, oh, my God, I'll do it without my toupee. Right. I said, that's a wonderful idea. And he got on the plane the next day and went over there and, and, and did a very good job. Yeah. 
So that's when I realized I could deal with actors after that. Yeah. And I decided I'd better direct my own movies. Yeah. What was Lee Van Cleef like in real life? Was he like his, was he far away from his screen persona or? Well, you know, he was a kind of, like many actors, when he first meets you, they're very suspicious and withdrawn. Right. And they don't, they don't trust you, you know. And right. then it, it takes you just a little while to get past that mistrust. And I managed to do that in one one lunch with Lee Van Cleef and got him on that plane. Right. And, uh, uh, you know, then I, I realized, you know, you can reason with these people. You don't have to be afraid of the actors. You don't have to avoid them. You just have to deal with them and treat them like people. And that's what I started doing. I always got along very well with my cast. They, right. Most of them loved me. So uh, right. I, I don't think I... I had trouble with actors the first day sometimes because they figured you out trying to see if you're in authority if you're the captain of the ship or whether they can try to take away the steering mechanism from you and you got to put them in their place and calm them down and make them realize that you know what you're doing and all they got to do is follow your lead and you're going to take good care of them. So mm. I, I usually do that. Even if I have to fire them, mm. usually they, mm. they leave and come back at an hour and apologize and then I never have any trouble with them for the rest really? of the <laughs> Uh, another actor that you work with that um, I always wanted to to interview or talk to in some capacity, but sadly he passed away before I could do that. He was in uh, God Told Me To. Uh, your film was Richard Lynch. Yes, well, Richard Richard was, uh, you know, I'd seen him in a picture of Scarecrow. Right. He beat, he beat Al Pacino nearly to death. Right. And I thought he'd be a good villain for me. Yeah. And he, he was, and we got along great, and... One day he was uh, changing in the dressing room and uh, I saw his body, which was all covered with scars. Yeah. He had set fire to himself as, uh, in, a, in a drug stupor. He had self-immolated and when he survived, his whole body was covered with burns. Right. And I said, my God, you know, you're playing an alien. Can I have you play this without your shirt on? So it, it'll look like a, a makeup job. And, right. and that was really Richard Lynch and the big... The big crevice in his chest was actually part of his scar tissue. Wow. I didn't create that. That was that was there. Mm. So, mm. so all, all of that kind of predicated the whole idea that that might be some reproductive organ. Right. Um, yeah. And, nah, uh, he was, that, um, that wasn't in my original idea until I saw his actual body. And you know, uh, usually when I see things as we're going along on a picture, I try and incorporate them into the story. Yeah. I can do that because I have absolute control of the film. Yeah. I don't have to get approval from a studio or front office or from executives. Uh, usually, if you needed to get an approval of any change, by the time they gave you the approval, it would be too late to do it anyway. So mm. uh, that's why I usually don't make pictures like that. I usually make them where I'm in the absolute control of every aspect of the mm. film and and don't even... Uh, I, I even even select the wardrobe and and the set decoration, I do everything. Wow, well, the editing and everything, everything that's on there. That's yeah. why in my films the credits roll about thirty seconds, and you, when you go to the movies now, the credits are ten minutes at the end of the picture. Yeah, you've never <laughs> seen so many people's names come up, uh, and uh, I can't believe how much employment they put out on making a movie because the, the credits keep rolling. Oh, nice. I don't know if anybody stays in the theater to watch them, but. Nice. Uh, I d yeah, well, I mean, everybody's got an assistant nowadays, don't they? Oh, 
it's unbelievable. And there's all these special effects houses. And there's never just one special effects company. It's six or seven. Yeah. And every one of them has an entire staff that has to be credited. So it just goes on and on and on. And I can't make movies like that. I, I can only make a movie where I'm in charge of, of, of the mm. whole picture. I don't want to farm the movie out to a bunch of places. Mm. What, is it, what, is, what has it been like for you, like, having watched, like, you... You've not, you You've you came up obviously in the industry was a certain way. You worked in the industry, and it was a certain way. You've you've been there. You've you've been able to watch it change over these these decades that you've worked. What what has it been like watching the industry change from the inside? Well, you know, uh, people used to make very interesting films uh, uh, about characters and people and stories, and now it's all special effects. And so uh, uh, the special effects movies have become so popular. That's all the studios want to do is do a remake or a sequel or a spinoff or, or a new comic, a new movie based on an old comic book. Yeah. There's very little originality today. You can't you can't go in and convince anybody to make an original movie. All they want to know is what's it like. I say to them, it's not like anything. If it was like something else, I wouldn't have written it. Yeah. I'd only like to do something that's new and different. But then they look at you with a puzzled expression because if they haven't seen it before, they don't know if they like it or not. That's the problem. It's the it's the executives and the lack of talent at the heads of the studios, and the fact that everybody just wants to do sequels and remakes and unknown properties that have been around for a long time. Right. And, you know, most of the remakes that are made of the old films uh, are much bigger budgeted, but they're not as good as the originals. No. No. Very true. I, I know that they tried to remake one of yours not too long ago, though. It's Alive. Oh, that was such a dreadful movie. It was made oh. in Bulgaria by yeah. a terrible company. And, uh, I mean, I didn't even know they were making a picture right. until I found out about it, and they were already 10 days into shooting it. They hadn't paid me or anything. Right. I had to have lawyers descend upon them and try to close the picture down to get paid. Yeah. It was... It was even the producers of the picture stopped me in Beverly Hills some months later and apologized and said they were they apologized for making such a dreadful movie out of my property. Right. But I didn't mind too much because nobody saw the picture. Right. I mean, they hardly <laughs> contributed at all, and uh, I wish they could have burned the negative. Yeah. Oh, that's shocking. And 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 I guess more shocking too that they didn't even bother to uh, to get your permission at all. Well. We were negotiating a deal, but we never concluded. And the next thing I knew, they were already shooting the picture. So yeah. I mean, it's just—I don't know anybody else who would do such a thing. But uh, yeah. when I was when I was doing there's some, no end of, there's no end of lunatics out here. No, the, I've, I have no doubt. Um, <laughs> someone once told me to to survive in the film industry, you have to be a little bit crazy. Well, I, I was a lot crazy and still am, you know, to, to make movies like uh, shooting machine guns off the top of the Chrysler building or, or putting Andy Kaufman in the middle of the 5,000 police officers in, in the St. Patrick's Day parade and yeah. having him pull a gun. I mean, nowadays with all this terrorism and fear of it, we probably would have gotten ourselves shot. Uh, I, I'd probably be long dead or in jail. Certainly arrested, that's for sure. But you can't do that anymore. No, no, not at all. Uh, well, one of the interesting um, revelations to come out of the parts of the documentary that I've seen was <laughs> uh, in, in typical independent director fashion when they told you that the people were 
panicking and screaming when you were firing all the bullets up on the top of the roof and all the shells, of course, are raining down. And they said, Larry, Larry, everyone's running and panicking. You said, quick, get a camera down there and film someone panicking. <laughs> well, the truth was that I went down there and there was no one panicking. Right. So it was quite disappointing. Yeah. There was nobody. People were just walking by, looking up, and then walking on. There was no panic going yeah. on. Today, today, there'd be a different story. Oh, there look. Guns going off. <laughs> Everybody'd be fleeing for their lives. Oh yeah, it would be all that. The, there'd be more news cameras and and people fleeing. Oh yes, we had enough news cameras over yeah. it. Yeah. People did think there was machine guns being fired at the United Nations building, <laughs> and we did get on the front pages of the New York papers and yeah. and on the local television stations, but. You know, it was completely unfounded, and there was no reason for it. Yeah. It just it just became one of those things that became escalated out of proportion. Yeah. One of the things that Steve and I spoke about, you know, and, and, and using your career as kind of like a, a template for it, is that he said the difference, Steve said the difference today is there are none of those sort of great cigar-chomping moguls that, you know, you, you a director like yourself could wander into his office and say, hey, I want to make a picture about, you know, a flying monster in New York, or I want to make a picture about, you know, an ambulance, or I want to do this. And, and they would say, sure, you know, how much is it going to cost? And you say, well, it's only going to cost X, you know. Um, in, those that, days, in those days, they had executives left from the old Hollywood days who yeah. could actually make a decision. They could actually give you a go-ahead to make a picture. Today, it's all done by committees. Yeah. So uh, it does, it's not the same uh, operation anymore. No. You can't just walk in and walk out with the deal. Yeah. But I guess if you're if you were uh, you know a real heavyweight uh, like Steven Spielberg or J.J. Abrams, you could probably do that today because oh, yeah. you had so much success before behind you. But in the old days, uh, there were there were still a few people. Who, who could who could give you the go ahead to make a film? Yeah, and it would have to be at a at a reasonable price. Yeah, and uh, but you could you could go out and, and and if you'd done a previous film for them successfully, uh, you pretty much had a home for some more projects. And sure. I, I I loved Mr. Arkoff over at American International. Yeah, because he he gave me so many go aheads for films. Yeah, it seems. Um... I spoke to a, another director some months ago, and he said that that in the modern Hollywood, the, there's buildings on on the lots of most studios, and they used to be the writers' buildings where the writers would all be coming up with, you know, all wonderful new material. And he said the sad thing about today is that those buildings are all full of marketing people. Well, that's true. And uh, in the old days, they used to have big development uh, budgets. And they would hire writers to to work on different projects, develop the scripts. Mm. And uh, as it was, uh, uh, now now they don't want to spend the money on development anymore. No, they just want to buy things. Like so many, uh, uh, I think Picasso famously once said, you know, a lot of artists make cake molds and they bake cakes, and it's the same cake over and over and over again. Um, it seems seems to me that's what Hollywood's kind of turned into a little bit. Well, the whole idea of making movies is to make something different that nobody's made before. Yeah. Not, but today the rule is to make something that somebody's made before and uh, mm. successfully and make it over again. Yeah. And of course, there, the the idea is throw more money at it and you'll make it better. Yeah. But that isn't always the case. No. Uh, no. They spend more money. The special effects are pretty damn good. 
but the movie is not as good as it was originally because mm. it doesn't have any heart, it doesn't have any soul, you know. It's yeah. just, uh, and yeah, and I mean, for for yourself nowadays, I mean, you're you're obviously still very active um, as a screenwriter. Um, uh, I loved your uh, your your script. Uh, phone booth was very good. I understand there was quite a bidding war over over phone booth. Yeah, well, it not only was a bidding war, but there were many imitations made afterwards. Everybody Certainly, did, they did Panic Room and they did this and they did that. Yeah. There was a lot of people trapped in a uh, in an isolated spot. And right. They, and that, that was a you know a formula that everybody jumped onto after phone booth. Sure. Before, before a phone booth, nobody did anything like no, that. No, totally. So yeah. I try to do something different and, uh, yeah. you know, and uh, and I'm still trying to do things that are different. Yeah. What's it like for you now, setting up films? Well, everybody wants to, everybody wants to talk to you, but like right. I said, they, um, people uh, generally uh, don't want to do something that hasn't been done before. Okay. But I do get calls from people who want to do remakes of my uh, of my other pictures, and right. I'm very and I'm very wary of it because of the mess they made out of the It's Alive. Right. Uh, yeah. Even even though they paid me an enormous amount of money right. for the right, and I didn't have to give them the money back, mm. they did a terrible job on the picture. Yeah. I mean, because in the past you've been you've been sort of responsible in in, in some ways for um, for sequels of your own material. Uh, you know, I mean, you, it's alive. You did. Uh, we did three. It's alive series, pictures. Yeah, but uh, only because I thought I had something else to offer in, sure. in terms of telling the story. Yeah. But you know, that might be an it's alive TV series or something. Yeah. You know, itself. A lot of these things are being approached about turning them into mini series for mm, for cable. Yeah, and, you know, I'm television to seems to be where it's proposal. at today. Yeah, uh, uh, there, there was a series I created on television called The Invaders, yes. which is still playing over in England and in France, right. and over here occasionally too. And uh, they, there's a lot of talk about reviving that series, yeah, so, or making a feature movie out of it. Yeah. But um, another couple of films I enjoyed of yours. Um, I I loved uh, Toby Hooper did the first one, Salem's Lot, and you came back with the the return to Salem's Lot. What was that uh, experience? Well, I, I Warner Brothers wanted to start a home video division and make pictures, especially for home video. So they told me uh, that I could make a couple of pictures for them. Right. I wanted to make the uh, House of Wax movie. Okay. Uh, but uh, they didn't want to give me that property. Yeah. So they said, but you can have Salem's Lot and you can make another It's Alive for us. So uh, Salem's Lot, you know, I, I knew the book. And uh, I said, okay, but I just want to make my own movie. I don't want to copy the previous movie at all. No. So basically all that maintained of the Stephen King concept was that a, a town in New England that's uh, occupied by vampires. Yeah. And everything else in the script was new and and original, and even the kind of vampires they were was simply different than what was in the previous films. Yeah, I had these all-American vampires that came over, like on the Mayflower. Right, and, right. And and to escape European persecution, right. set up and, and and became very wealthy because they lived so long. <laughs> you can imagine if you're going to live 300 years. How much money you could make just mm. on real estate? Oh, totally. so, yeah. And we put a lot of comedy and in, in, in black humor into the uh, 
into the uh, movie. Right. And I had a lot of fun making it. Uh, mm. And we took over a little town up in Peachum, Vermont, and shot it there. Yeah. And uh, we kind of owned the town for a month. Drove them all crazy, keeping mm. them up all night because it was vampires, you know. So uh, uh, I was glad I made that film. And I got to have Sam Fuller in the film. Yeah. And he's uh, a great director of his time. And he, he was... Terrific in the part too. So. Yeah, great, a great character. Uh, I, I enjoyed. I enjoyed hanging around with him for a month. No, oh, that must have been. Before. He was a friend beforehand. Yeah, that must have. Take, take that must have been a real movie. treat. I've, I've only ever seen him in in clips, and um, uh, Richard Sheckle made a, a special on him in the, the Men Who Made the Movies. He must have been. Uh, he must have been quite something to uh, to sit and talk with on a daily basis. Oh, he was—he had great stories to tell, yeah. and he—and he was a good friend, as I said. And I, I know he'd done a lot of movies for a lot of directors, but they were always one-day parts. He had one or two lines, or he was—he was nearly an extra, or he really had nothing to do. Yeah. Uh, but I wrote a nice big part for him, and I sent him the script, and he called me up and said, "But there's so much dialogue. <laughs> Don't worry, Sam. We'll get you through it. Just get on the plane and come here." Well. Frankly, he needed the money at the time, and I was glad to do it for him. He had his yeah. daughter who was having some cancer uh, services performed, and he was very uh, concerned about her, and the money was going out very quickly. Yeah. So uh, he was happy to come here and uh, get him as much dough as I could raise for him, and yeah. it helped a lot. And he, he got away from the, pr the troubles that he was going through. He felt better over here, and he... Was invigorated and we had a lot of laughs. Because he was, uh, well, he was living in France at that time, wasn't he? He was living in Paris. Paris, yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, I just, I, I loved the, uh, I loved the voice, and he had like the natural spot in his lip where the cigar always sat. Oh yeah, he always had his cigars with him. Yeah. <laughs> great character, great stuff. And a great friend, and I. Uh, we just love being around each other. Yeah, that would have been tremendous, really tremendous. I was looking at the trend of the, the, the scripts you've written in recent years and awful lot of thrillers, and when I was talking to Steve, uh, he said that you, you were a great fan of uh, Alfred Hitchcock. Well, I, I like Hitchcock's films, and I knew him personally. Oh, you did? I spent a, couple, uh, a number of times with him, uh, and every time you got together with him, it would always be three and a half hours. Right. I mean, you know, he just loved to talk and and tell you stories and and to tell you scenes from movies that he never used and and to tell you the anecdotes about his career in England and all that stuff. Wow. Yeah, he had his opinion about everything. He would tell you who Jack the Ripper really was. Okay. And he was just uh, it was just uh, quite a bit of fun to be around. I I think I I enjoyed being around him more, not working with him. Right. He was very cruel. He was very cruel to writers. He 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 did not treat writers very well. Right. He didn't pay them very well, and he resented them. And uh, 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 since I was not dealing with him as a employee, but rather just as a friend, we had a good time. Right. But had I been employed by him, I, I'm sure he would have mistreated me like he did all the other writers that he worked with. Wow. Even John Michael Hayes, who wrote about five movies for him. Right. Ended up firing him, and uh, under very unfortunate circumstances. So he was not—he was not kind to writers, and he hated paying them any money. <laughs> what, what, what's the uh, what's the often used term for uh, for writers in Hollywood? 
schmucks with Underwoods, or what is it? Well, I, I, I don't believe that. I think that's a, a, a self-induced uh, misnomer. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the writer has the greatest job in Hollywood, actually. Oh, look. He doesn't, I he, think, he goes I think off and he does it all by himself. I think he, good... <laughs> he, he delivers them the script, and they're all out in, in the jungle or in the rain shooting the scenes that he wrote, and they're sitting by the swimming pool enjoying the sun and writing another script. So yeah. and writers end up making just as much money as directors yeah. because a writer can write two or three or four scripts a year, and these directors usually take it takes them two or three years to make one picture. Yeah. So even though they're all highly paid, if you if you look at it, the total returns, the writers do just as well and don't have to be out there in the inclement weather and getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning every day. Yeah. So it ain't a bad life. No, no, not at all. <laughs> no. And plus, you really don't have uh, you really don't have a really good movie without a really good script, do you? Uh, believe me, if the script is no good, the movie is no good. Yeah, I remember reading Kurosawa was very much a proponent of that. He said, you know, a, a great director and a great script makes a good movie, and 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 a good uh, a, a decent script with a with a with a competent director can still make a good movie, but no director can make a good movie out of a bad script. That's true. Mm. I mean, it's like an architectural design. If the design is faulty, the building collapses. Mm. You know, you know. I'm always surprised when the directors don't follow the script because sometimes it's, they've worked on the script for months yeah. and the director comes in and overnight he undermines the entire operation because he wants to put his mark on the picture. Yeah. And of course, sometimes it's very destructive. Yeah. And after all the work that's been done, it's just a shame to see it thrown away. But that's the way the system works. Yeah. And they very seldom fire the director. They usually fire the writer and put another writer on. So yeah. it, uh, it's, 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 it's a correct, it needs to be corrected. Yeah. The system needs to be corrected. But, you know, that's what in, uh, inspired me to direct my movies. Yeah. If I'd been treated properly by the people who made the films that I wrote, mm. I wouldn't have had to direct them. But uh, seeing what was being done, and the mess they were making, I, I decided, hey, I got, I won't have anything to show for my life if I don't go out and make my own pictures. Right, yeah. So and look what happened. <laughs> I finally got a movie made about me. Yeah. I've been, I've been anointed king. Yeah, totally. And now, and yesterday, yesterday, out at Burbank at the, uh, at the uh, horror show, whatever it's called, a horrathon or whatever they call the damn thing. Right. I was, I was signing autographs and stuff for people. And all of a sudden, there was J.J. J. Abrams. Yes. Can you believe it? He came to see me. He right. wanted me to autograph a stuff cup for him. Oh, there as, you go. Uh, as a souvenir. Yeah. And I and I did that. But you imagine J.J. J. Abrams coming out to see me. I mean, I thought that was so wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. That's and got, he got out of the place just before he was recognized and mobbed <laughs> by thousands of people. <laughs> yeah. He had brought his two nephews with him. Yeah. He wanted to show him all the uh, all the models and the and the horror stuff that was there at this uh, horror fest, you know. So yeah. and and he came by to see me, and that was uh, that was a, a real real trail. That's trip, thrill to see him there. That's really beautiful, because yeah. I mean, re really, Larry, you, you're the last of a you're the last of a, a particular breed. I mean, this. There's not too many. Well, you know, look what happened. We lost uh, 
uh, Toby Hooper last week, yeah. who directed the Chainsaw Massacre, he died. Yeah. Before that, George Romero, who did the uh, Night of the Living he Dead, he passed pictures, away. Yeah. And then Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, uh, uh, he passed away. I mean, Wes Craven. Wes Craven. Yeah. So I mean, you know, uh, 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 the masses of horror is thinning out. Yeah. Of the number that are still left, yeah, and, and but but I'm one of the few ones who are still working and yeah. churning out material, and well, and that's, that that's exciting for me. That, well, that's that's a great comfort, Larry, because um, like I told you at the top of the show, as as a fan of your work, it's 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 great to not only at this stage take a take a a beautiful tour back through uh, all the wonderful memories of uh, all the cinema that you've given us, both as a writer, a director, producer. I want to tell you that, in my opinion, uh, uh, and it's self-serving, but I think most of the movies are better today than they were when we made them. Right. They have aged very well. Yes. The, the, the cinematic techniques and the uh, and the stories and the uh, essence of the movies and the dialogue and the performances are certainly superior to what's being made nowadays. Yes. And I mean... Um, Did you ever see Perfect Strangers? Yes, yes. Oh, certainly. Yep, yep. With the, little, with the little two-year-old boy? Yeah. I mean, whoever directed a movie starring a two-year-old boy who couldn't even talk yet? Well, that's I true, mean, yeah. That was, that's one of the pictures that is generally not seen too often. No, no. It should be seen. It's... Uh, and the one called Special Effects with Eric Bogosian. Special about Effects, yeah. a crazy yeah, yeah. movie director who commits a murder. That's yes. by owed to movie directors. Yeah. <laughs> I love I love Eric. He's a great uh, he's a great actor. It was great to see him come out and uh, and talk about you as well on the film. Yeah, well, we just did some screenings at the Quad Cinema in New York, and Eric Bogosian came. And, and said some very nice things. Yeah. And uh, I hadn't seen him in many years. Mm. Uh, and it's nice when the actors who've been in your films uh, decide to come out and say something nice about you. Yeah. So you know, I I think I've earned it because I, I treated the actors well and got the very best out of them. Well, I think I think that's. I mean that that's that's paramount. For, I mean because like you said, when when you first meet them, they're they're a little bit suspect until they get to know you and get to trust you and and well in most cases they that, that mistrust lasts for the entire production of the picture yeah. but in my case it usually lasts for one day yeah. and we get past it and then we all have a good time yeah. because ultimately you want the making of the film to be a um I, well it's an enjoyable experience yeah. and uh, I, I'm always very flattered when I see these actors on the set and I say, what are you doing here? You're not on the schedule to work today. And they say, well, we just wanted to come over and see what was going on. Yeah. You know, they they so enjoy, they so enjoyed the experience that they show up even on days when they're not working because yeah. they don't want to miss out on anything. Yeah. I, I, I love that. I love the, the fact that that turned it into that kind of an experience. Well, most directors I've spoken to always say, keep them happy, keep them fed. Yeah, well, it's I I kind of keep them happy. Right. <laughs> hey, I gotta go now, but thanks for right. very much for the call. Well, listen, thank you very much, Larry, and um, it's it's <laughs> great great to talk. I hope, to see you. I hope I get over there to uh, Australia again for another film festival. I do too. Get to see you in person, say hello. Okay? I do too. I hope very much. Thank you very much for giving us your time. Thank you for being okay. on the show. Sure. Great to be here. Bye bye. All right. Thank you.